0: Jesus is walking toward the mouth of a valley, on the road from the north country to the Galilee, after having just said the following words to his disciples and some new followers. If anyone wants to follow in my footsteps, he must give up all right to himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The man who tries to save his life will lose it. It is the man who loses his life for my sake and the gospel's who will save it. What good can it do a man to gain the whole world at the price of his own soul? What can a man offer to buy back his soul once he has lost it? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this unfaithful and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels around him. That said... He'd begun walking off toward the southward. The crowd of disciples and followers stood there in the shade, watching him go. Just before the road straightened out, underneath the shadow of a tree, he stopped suddenly and looked back at them. He added, raising his voice so the words would carry to them, "'Believe me! There are some of you standing here who will know nothing of death!' until you have seen the kingdom of God coming in its power. Then he turned and continued walking off. After a minute or two, everyone else followed. The next day, they arrived back to the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. He wanted to stop off in Bethsaida and pay a visit there. He crossed across the front of the town, walking the edge of the stony beach, And arrived before a small house on the east side. He knocked at the door and then was greeted by the surprised, overwhelmed delight of that formerly blind man he'd healed just about a week ago. He met that man's family and shared an evening's meal with them. The day after, he and some of his disciples followed the lakeside road toward Capernaum It was a lovely, cool, fresh sort of day for walking. They would meet Simon Peter and his boat back down that way. Large, billowy clouds were piling up in the southeast, thick and grayish-white. The shadow of them was a mass upon the waters. A strong breeze was starting to kick up out of that direction. It was clear to everyone there would be a storm at some point that day. They walked along the edge of the sea keeping their eye upon the sky and were safely back in Capernaum before the storm broke. The next few days were largely uneventful. The people of Capernaum were pleased to have him back in their midst again. The fishermen fished mornings. Jesus taught a lesson each afternoon. It was a time of rest after their visit up to the north country. On the fourth day, He was up and dressed and ready to take to the road before any of them had even opened their eyes to the morning light. He was quietly cooking some breakfast for them when they woke up. Then it was off again, down along the shoreline road, heading south, and then they walked up to the southwest away from the sea. That night found them in a cleft of rocks, sheltered against the howling of nighttime winds. It was altogether too windy to even spark up a fire. The next day they walked on southwest again. On the sixth day, Jesus took Peter and James and John with him and led them high up on a hillside where they were entirely alone. They had set off after a cold breakfast of dried-out bread. The others had stayed behind, somewhat annoyed. Jesus, Peter, James, and John Walked a narrow goat path out of camp, past a shoulder of the hillside, and then out of view of the others. Where are we going? Peter eventually asked. You will see, Jesus replied. It was a pleasant meandering hike for the first few hours. Then, all at once, it was a difficult, tiring, toiling sort of climb. At times, they were forced to use their hands to grab at handholds and scraggly roots of bushes, otherwise they would have toppled back over. They came upon a section of large boulders and had to help each other, climbing and pushing and pulling to get up through that approach. Finally, and yet not even to the summit of the mountainous hill they had been climbing up, Jesus stopped and caught his breath where they were. He looked around and then nodded at his friends. They were all sweating and breathing heavily. Peter, James, and John found a soft bit of grass to sit down on. Then suddenly, his whole appearance changed before their eyes, while his clothes became white, dazzling white, whiter than any earthly bleaching could make them. This happened more suddenly than even the time it took me to say those descriptive words. All at once, he burst into light. He was as startlingly bright as the face of the sun. One could only look at him by looking directly next to him. Then, just as suddenly, Elijah and Moses appeared to the disciples and stood there in conversation with Jesus. They glowed too, just not as bright. Moses was known by them. Elijah was known by them, just as certainly as if they'd been wearing a clear-as-day sort of name tag. These carriers of the law and all the mantle of the prophets suddenly stood before the disciples talking with their friend. And so... Peter burst out to Jesus. Master, it is wonderful for us to be here. Shall we put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah? He really did not know what to say, for they were very frightened. The awe of this heavenly spectacle could only call to mind such an earthly offering. Then came a cloud which overshadowed them, again, all at once. A wind began to blow. And creeping along the edges of the ridgeline came this foggy, glowing, thick cloud of glory. It passed across the scene before them and enwrapped them. And a voice spoke out of the cloud. A voice spoke out of the cloud. This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. The voice had spoken words nearly identical to its own words from a different day, and yet they were spoken over the same man. That other day, these words were thundered over a crowd standing next to a river, watching the baptism of this cousin of one John the Baptist. Those words? You are my dearly beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Words of fatherly affirmation at the start of something. Words to warrant wonder, to confirm to John, to enrapture the fearful watchers. And so where are we now? Unto where has this dearly beloved son arrived? To a heavenly fatherly reaffirmation, past the midpoint of his journey. Words to remind, words to confirm, and words to shift the focus For, well, we notice how he says no longer, you are my dearly beloved son. It is, this is my dearly loved son. And the pleasure that the father first spoke at seeing him at his baptism is replaced by a word, a commandment to his disciples. Listen to him. No longer is the son alone in his sonship, solitary within his mission, needing only the father's regard as he moved alone into his ministry. Now the ministry is the sonship, drawing in all towards his voice, and thus the Father. And the disciples' attention to that voice will be everything. The world will only hear as far as they hear. His voice to them will be the voice of Jesus to the world. The Father speaks, the Son speaks, and soon they will speak from a place of like sonship and the same heavenly belovedness. You see, the law, Moses, led toward the prophets, Elijah, and yet both were sent by and for Jesus. Now the son receives their witness and the reaffirmation of the father in order that he will finish the work to make all men potential sons of God. This transfiguration is the lifting up of the Son of God before these men. The cross will be his lifting up that may lift all men. The law, the prophets, the old covenant are all coming to a close on this mountain. The next mountain, Golgotha, will be the end of the end. The glory of heaven has invaded the earth forever. Soon the sun will invade heaven bringing his sons and daughters in his train. That is what Peter, James, and John are just beginning to see. Then quite suddenly, they looked all around them and saw nobody at all with them but Jesus. He is standing just in front of them with the summit of the hill behind him, lit up only now by the average afternoon sunlight of the day. His cloak and tunic are his old, worn-out cloak and tunic. His feet are shod in the same shoddy, tired old sandals as always. He is altogether himself again, Jesus, their friend. And yet, and yet, these three will never be able to forget the image of his glory, never lose sight of the sight of that transfigured friend. Until, at the end of their days, Mm. passing on, dying out of this world, they arrive at the other side and see him, just like that, on the throne of heaven. This was their first full glimpse of the King of Kings in his glory. Their next will be the experience of all eternity. And as they came down the hillside, he warned them not to tell anybody What they had seen till the Son of Man should have risen again from the dead. There was that same strange description of a death again and a resurrection. The last time he said it was the time when Peter had rebuked him south of Caesarea Philippi. But Peter decides to himself, perhaps not this time. They three treasured this remark, and tried to puzzle out among themselves what rising from the dead could mean. He was now out in front of them, walking down the trail at his own pace, and they spent perhaps half an hour or so puzzling out his precise meaning, which got them thinking about another of the messianic prophecies. They they jogged down a little to him and caught up with him. Then they asked him this question. Why did the scribes say that Elijah must come before Christ? Jesus thinks for a minute. It is quite true, he told them, that Elijah does come first and begins the restitution of all things. But what does the scripture say about the Son of Man? This that he must go through much suffering and be treated with contempt. I tell you that not only has Elijah come already, but they have done to him exactly what they wanted, just as the scripture says of him. And then off he continues down the trail toward their base camp. Well, something over 30 years later, now in Rome, Peter is sitting in a room remembering how it was on that day. He is thinking, too, of his brothers and sisters in that man. He takes up his pen and begins writing to them again. I know that I shall have to leave this body at very short notice, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Consequently, I shall make the most of every opportunity, so that after I am gone, you will remember these things. We were not following a cleverly written-up story when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We actually saw His majesty with our own eyes. He received honor and glory from God the Father Himself when that voice said to Him out of the sublime glory of heaven, "'This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased.'" We actually heard that voice speaking from heaven while we were with him on the sacred mountain. The word of prophecy was fulfilled in our hearing. You should give that word your closest attention for it shines like a lamp amidst all the dirt and darkness of the world until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts.